So we're in chapter 13, um, and this is a chapter that pretty much devotes itself to a look at the Antichrist. And when you go through the book of Revelation, um, many different individuals take a prominent place, but nobody takes a more prominent place than Jesus Christ. But also, if you're to put somebody right behind him, and not in order of importance, but just in terms of reference in the book of Revelation, it would have to be the Antichrist. And that's what this chapter is, is zeroed in on. So the title of tonight's study is The World's Last Leader. Um, and we'll see um, how he comes on the scene and the types of things that he's going to do. Um, and may, I think a lot of our thinking maybe has been influenced by um, movies about the Antichrist, um, maybe rock bands and the album covers, I don't know. You know, there's all kinds of ideas that we pick up along the way of, of what the Antichrist is and what he's going to do. But, but actually, when we read the text here, we'll find out exactly from the Word about this, this person. 1 John 2.18 says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Even in John's day, he said it was the last hour. There's nothing that needs to take place. We're living in the, just before the coming of the Lord, and, and nothing has changed. Certainly time has elapsed, but in terms of things that must be fulfilled prophetically before the return of the Lord, it's, it's nothing. Nothing more needs to take place. And uh, as we think about the coming of the Antichrist, the Antichrist, John says there's all kinds of Antichrists that have already come. Those that would want to lead us away from, the, from following Jesus, and we are to be on guard against them. You know, who's the Antichrist? Well, nobody knows who the Antichrist is. But that has not, <laughs> that has not kept believers down through the ages from naming who the Antichrist and who they believed he was. Caligula, that was... A name, Nero. People thought Nero was the Antichrist. Um, All kinds of different popes have been named as the Antichrist down through the ages. Um, Adolf Hitler, JFK, Mikhail Gorbachev, Henry Kissinger. These are all kinds of people have been named as the Antichrist. And and every one of those is wrong. None of them were the Antichrist. And the person we're going to read about here. When the Antichrist comes, he is on a mission to try and destroy the nation of Israel and to lead people away from following Jesus and to persecute terribly anybody that does and have world dominance and have world power. Well, just like there's been no shortage of names that have been put forward as possible candidates for um, who the Antichrist is, um, the same is said of those who wanted to rule the world. Pinky wanted to rule the world, right? And Pinky and the brain. I mean, they wanted to rule the world. But I mean, there's all kinds of people. Napoleon, he wanted to rule the world. Charlemagne, Mussolini, Hitler, um, the, you know, the, uh, the mullahs of Iran want to see uh, an Islamic caliphate established. ISIS wants to see an Islamic caliphate over the whole world. This is kind of what drives them, is that kind of ideology. There's always been people who have wanted to dominate the whole world, but there is only going to be one. 
that will be able to fulfill that. Even the Antichrist will try and fail. Only Jesus Christ will, will rule over the entire world. But when this man comes, it'll be like any other, unlike any other man that has ever come to try and do this. He will be indwelt with some powerful demon that Satan has sent. And he will be, no doubt, a gifted speaker. He's going to be intelligent. He's going to have charm. He's going to have charisma. He's going to have incredible leadership power. And those natural qualities combined with a satanic influence upon him like has never been seen is going to result in a superhuman power that's going to lead the world astray. That's what we're going to read, and that's what we've been reading as we've made our way through. You know, the Antichrist, that's, in, that's how we commonly refer to him. But in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, he's known as the little horn. That's another name for the Antichrist, is the little horn. In Daniel 8, 23, um, he's called one, he's, uh, the king of fierce countenance. It's another name for the Antichrist. Um, the prince that shall come, Daniel 9, 26. Daniel 11, 36 through 45, we read about the willful king. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, we were there not so many Sundays ago. He's the son of perdition, the man of sin, lawless one. These are all names that are given to describe who the Antichrist is. But as we move to chapter 13, we'll get a fuller description than any one of those titles give us. So let's begin reading verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea... And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his, ten, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority." So here we have the identity of the beast from the sea. And Daniel picks up and states many of the same things. Of course, it was written first about this. But let's first of all think about this one who's coming out of the sea. Is this like a sea creature? Well, him coming out of the sea, um, we have some other references in Scripture that refers to the sea. And it's usually a reference to the Gentile nations. Um, Isaiah 57, 20 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And there we see the sea as, a, a, again, a metaphor from which people come from. In this case, wicked people. Revelation 17, 15 says, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So, so that kind of is a pretty good reference for us to understand what's being referred to when we think about the sea. Don't ask, is this the Pacific, the Atlantic, or you know, the Mediterranean? No, none of the above. It's a sea. Um, it's, a, it's a metaphor that's used to refer to the nations, to the peoples, and he's going to come out from among the peoples. And, and I believe he's going to come out from among the Gentile nations. Now, some would say, no, he's going to be a Jew. And um, that primarily comes from a reference in Daniel 11.37, where it says that this man did not regard the God of his fathers. The word God there in 11.37 is Elohim, which is not an exclusive uh, word for the God of, 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 the, uh, 
our God, the God of you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh. Yahweh is a, a, a name for God. But Elohim, that, that was used of many other gods. And it's a plural. So you don't have to say that this man did not regard the God. Because if you read in the New King James, King James, it's going to have a capital G. And you say, well, the God of our father. So we immediately think, well, this must be referring to um, the Jews because they worshiped God, the only true God. But actually, some of the newer translations has God's plural, small, small g. So um, to base this idea that the Antichrist is a Jew from Daniel 11.37, it doesn't have, there's not a lot of textual proof for that. So, you know, you can dig in. It doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't really much matter. He's coming and he's going to be wicked. Um, but I would see him as coming um, out of the seas, Revelation 17, 15, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So he's coming out, going to be, uh, have the power of Satan upon him, um, going to be controlled by him. And Satan you know, is going to offer, right? He's going to offer the kingdoms to him. Um, and this reminds me of how he offered this to Jesus. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms. And um, so now here's a man that's going to receive that power, and he's going to receive um, this great authority as we, we see at the end of verse 2. But moving on, he has, um, there are seven heads and ten horns. <laughs> so this, this is where you've got to really think. This is where you've got to take some time and begin to care, compare Scripture with Scripture. So seven heads. Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. Um, Variously interpreted, um, but it's really in chapter 17, it, it becomes even clearer. And we'll dive into that when we get to chapter 17. But let me at least read to this. And these seven heads would be seven kings or seven rulers or seven empires. And so let me read to you from Revelation 17, 10 through 11. There are also seven kings, five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So he has these seven, um, there are these seven kings and he is the eighth. So it would seem that this is a reference to, to those empires. Um, uh, then we see that there are ten horns with ten crowns. This takes us um, again into Revelation chapter 17 verses 12 and 13. Says the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So it feels like those seven are kings that have come before. The ten are kings that are present at the time that the Antichrist comes on the scene. And if you want to write down here Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 25, um, it's an important reference, and it becomes very clear that these ten um, crowns, they are indeed, these ten horns, they are indeed um, ten different kings. So he'll arrive at a time when there's a, coalition, a coalition of these ten kings, and they will give him authority and the power that they have. So how exactly that looks, we don't know, but you can imagine it as um, presidents or uh, um, you know, government powers, and they say, all right, you know what, you're the man, we give you 
all power, you are now over us. And they will hand these, uh, their kingdoms, their nations over to him. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, because I, I, I want you to see um, how the, the Bible is put together, especially with prophecy. We were reading here in Revelation 13, but then we picked up in chapter 17, and we got more insight, because the best commentary on the Bible is the, the Bible. And you can see that already, just in a comparing of those two passages. But if we go, and let me go there with you, um, get over to Daniel. Chapter 7. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up what is that? Great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion. It had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off. and was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given it to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its, uh, between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had what? Ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom, the three, uh, whom three of the first horns were plucked out by its roots. So they were supplanted. And there is, therein this horn uh, were uh, like the eyes of a man with a mouth speaking pompous words. And now we come into a vision of the kingdom of God here in verses 9 and 10. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head, like pure will, his throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. A thousand, a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flames. And that's exactly what happens to the Antichrist. The little horn is the Antichrist. Okay, he is that fourth beast. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. They brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Then all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is a everlasting, right? So this is Jesus' reign and rule. 
which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And if at this point you're like, I am totally lost. Good news. Verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body. The visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. The great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and the tin horns which were on uh, its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely the horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words. I guess another name you could give to the Antichrist is Mr. Big Mouth, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. And so you can keep on, on reading through this. But, but we, we get an interpretation of what these ten horns are. These are ten kingdoms. These are the, the, through which um, the Antichrist is going to rise, the little horn. And we read about these four, king, these four beasts. Now, if we were also to, to go, and I'm not going to do it tonight, but we could go to a couple of other places, um, but we'll find out that these first three beasts was the Babylonian Empire, it was the Persian Empire, and the Grecian Empire. The lion was the Babylonian Empire, the bear was the Persian, and the leopard was the Grecian. The terrible beast is not given an identity, um, but... Eventually, we know that it is associated with the Antichrist. So all four of these beasts came out of the sea, right? So when we're in Revelation and we read about a beast coming out of the sea, if we're familiar with the Bible, it's not complicated. Because it's like, oh, well, we remember back in Daniel 7 when four beasts came out of the sea, the fourth one having ten horns, that these were empires and these were kingdoms. And so this is referring to just the nations as we cross-referenced in Revelation chapter 17. So I think it's pretty clear when you begin to put these together um, that this is what's going to happen. Now, he was most interested in the fourth kingdom, which had the ten horns, which is what John is seeing here in Revelation chapter 13. I encourage you to keep in mind Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. Both of these will be helpful. So the fourth empire was different. It's interesting. We get names. I mean, it's actually in Daniel. He tells us the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, and the Grecians. It just comes out and calls the nations out. But the one beast that Daniel was most interested in, no empire is named. And so... Some have looked at this, and listen, it is not clear. There's all kinds of, of debate about this. Is, is that, well, the fourth empire um, was an empire that existed at the days of Jesus, the fourth empire being the Roman Empire, and um, it will be an empire that comes back on the scene 
Um, and we've looked at this prior um, in our prior studies, and it'll come back on the scene again. And um, it is from the Roman Empire, some form of it, that the Antichrist will be des- uh, destroyed and will rise from. Others say, no, 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 it's not the Roman Empire, it's the Islamic Caliphate. And I've talked about this in our study through the book of Daniel. Um, and I think there's a reasonable case. I, I land on the side of it being some form of the Roman Empire, and we talked about this not so many weeks ago. But there's, there are other ideas out there we don't really know because the Bible doesn't tell us. You can make some really good you know, conclusions, but at the end of the day, you can't say what the fourth empire is like you can say what the first three empires are. Um, I think there's some strong clues, but it's not definitive. But that's not really the focus of the fourth empire. What is the focus of the fourth empire is the rise of this little horn, this fourth beast. And that is what we're reading about. So, again, in the end of chapter 2, um, we'll see. I forget where am I. The beast was likened into three animals. Okay, so yeah, the three animals, the lion, the bear, the leopard. Um, and so you, you pick up that same imagery in Revelation 13 that Daniel talked about in these other um, in these other empires that preceded. So go back to Revelation 13 with me. Um, and we see um, at the end of verse 2 that the beast is empowered and granted dominion by Satan. Again, there's been some terrible leaders in, on this planet. They have done some terrible things. But nothing is going to be like this guy. There's been wickedness, but nobody's had the power of Satan you know, in their hands to wield. And uh, again... He's offering to this man what he had offered to Jesus, and Jesus rejected. Verses 3 and 4, we see um, how the world responds to him, and that they worship the beast. And I saw one of his hands, heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Read it, Antichrist. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Dragon is Satan. Go back to uh, uh, Revelation 12. We'll clearly tell you that. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So he's powerful. He supplanted the other three. Nobody wants to fight him. I mean, he has such power. But we read here that um, he receives in his head um, a mortal wound. And it's a deadly wound, and he's healed. And it is for this reason that you know, what is believed happens is that there's some kind of, in war or assassination, um, receives this wound, but has a miraculous resurrection, and the world stands by and says, wow. I mean, first of all, he comes on the scene, and he dealt with those two witnesses that were so annoying. And he killed them. Then he stands in the, uh, you know, the temple of the Lord saying, I am God, worship me. Um, and then he has this miraculous recovery that causes the world to stand back and say, this is our guy. This is our leader. And make no mistake about it, following the Antichrist is not simply going to the ballot box and voting for the wrong guy. That's not what it means to follow the Antichrist. 
He becomes your God. He becomes the object of your devotion and worship. This becomes the last day's religion. Is the worship of the Antichrist, the worship of the beast. And in the world's minds, uh, mind, and at the last days, they're like, there is nobody like this guy. And nobody can stand against this guy. No doubt they're saying this because of the way he overcame the three um, empires and the way he overcame the two witnesses. Verses 5 through 8, we see what the work of the beast is. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. You see how Daniel talks about him speaking pompous words, Mr. Big Mouth? And you come here and you see the similar language. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. 42 months is 1,260 days, is three and a half years, is time, times, and half a time. All the ways in which the writers of Scripture refer to the last half of the tribulation, three and a half years. Verse 6, Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Where do you think verse 6 happens? Happens in the rebuilt temple there in Jerusalem. This is where he's going to demand to be worshipped as God. Now, no doubt it's going to happen other places, but it's first going to be stated there in that temple. Verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Underline that. To make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So verses 5 and 6, he's one who commits blasphemy. That's going to be his work. He is going around doing this. And still in verse 5, he will have authority for 42 months. He is the one, though, that comes on the scene, I believe, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, because we're still in the mid-tribulation right here. But he comes on the scene in the beginning of the tribulation. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2 he comes riding on a white horse. He comes in as one who's offering peace. And he's gaining all of this um, recognition around the world for bringing in peace. And then halfway through, it all changes. And you find out who they really have been following. And now with the power of Satan, he begins to rule and, and dominate. And then in verse 7, another one of his works is going to be, he's going to persecute the saints. Jesus said to um, his disciples and to us that the gates of hell would not prevail. And actually, to each of the seven churches, he says, to, he, to him who overcomes. The church always overcomes because of our faith. But in this hour, the saints are being overcome. Paul told the Thessalonians that this day would not overcome them, that they are in, um, not in darkness, but they're children of the light, and that they will not be overcome. So who is being overcome then? Well, it's the saints. Well, who, who are they? Well, I mean, it's, it's, you got one of two answers here. It's either um, the church and those who are coming to believe in Jesus during the Great Tribulation, therefore the church is present, or it's those who are coming to faith 
but the church is not present. I mean, it's the only two options you have. And so I, I just, uh, this is a, a strong reason for why I, I hold to a pre-tribulation rapture view. It's not the only reason, okay? But this is a, a powerful reason because Satan is going to overcome the saints. And yet Jesus said, the gates of hell will not do this. They will not overcome you. You're not of the day that this terrible time of destruction should overcome you. We're not appointed to, to wrath. And so if the Antichrist is overcoming, who is he overcoming? Well, I would say it's not the church. Well, who are the saints? These are those who are coming to put their faith and trust in Jesus because of the witness of the two witnesses, because of the work of the 144,000, because of somebody who happens to just pick up a Bible and says, I wonder if this thing offers any information. I remember a crazy aunt or uncle that was always talking about the book of Revelation. I wonder if this helps. And they're going to read it and they're going to see. They're going to have this awareness. Oh, this is what's going on. And they're going to be followers of Jesus Christ. They're saved in the same way that we are saved. They're given the promises that we are given of, of eternal life. But what they are not is part of the church. Now, there's a lot of people that are not part of the church that were called saints. As a matter of fact, everyone who was a follower of God in the Old Testament up until the church began in Acts chapter 2 they were followers, they were saints, but they were not part of the church. And when God brings his church up into heaven prior to the end of the, uh, to the beginning of the tribulation, that ends the age of the church. It doesn't make them second-class citizens. It doesn't make them some kind of offscoring that God doesn't care about. It just means like we're not Israel, uh, that they're not the church. So I don't think you should be ranking in terms of you know, favor and kindness and love. It just is something different that's taking place. So if you say that this is the church, then you've got to, you have to reckon with how does Satan overcome when Jesus promised that wouldn't happen and that we weren't appointed to this time, not going to be overtaken by this day. So he's going to persecute the saints. Still in verse 7, he's going to have global authority, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then in verse 8, he's going to deceive the world. I mean, they're going, to, they're going to fall for this guy, hook, line, and sinker. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. This is going to be a, a, a it's hard to call it a revival, an awakening, but it's going to be a demonic awakening. And everybody is going to be zealous. To follow this one, but not those who are written in the book of life. And it's only in Jesus, it's only in the Lamb of God that you can find salvation. And it's only through the Lamb that your name can get written into the book of life. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then your name will be written in this book. And you can have the hope of eternal life. Verses 9 and 10. A word of exhortation is given to those who are going to experience the rage of the Antichrist. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. 
Not really cheery news, actually. When they take you, you're going to be taken. And when they kill you, you're going to be killed. Here is patience in the faith of the saints. The exhortation, the word of exhortation is, these days are going to be full of persecution, and you're not going to do anything to stop it. But have patience and have faith. How difficult these days are going to be. But there's going to be a special grace that God is going to give to these followers to stand against the, you know, the, the dragon's you know, you know, flaming fire that's coming out and destroying. They're going to stand fast. And they're not going to give in. They're going to have patience. And they're going to have faith in the face of the Antichrist. Not, not, not just you know, a difficult day. Satan's man is going to be destroying them, and these saints are going to have patience. They're going to endure. They're going to have faith. They're going to believe that Jesus is going to ultimately come and rescue them. And isn't that how each of us are to live our lives? And honestly, in, for us, in far less circumstances, in far less trouble, in much brighter days, at the church, we have our gathering. We, we, we have it so easy as believers in comparison. And, and it seems like so many little things cause people to even contemplate, I'm going to walk away from the Lord. Now, it's spiritual warfare. I get it. But I would encourage you to resolve in your mind. Have you ever said this? Just talking to yourself, I will never turn away from Jesus. I will never walk away. There are some times when I watch, you know, some of you, brothers and sisters, or I read a report of what somebody has gone through, or I talk with somebody and what they've gone through. And I, I often think, you know, sometimes you're encouraging people to stand fast. Sometimes they're encouraging you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing right here with Jesus. But do you ever in those moments just think, what would I do if that happened to me? If I had everything that just happened to them, if it was to happen to me, what would I do? And the answer that we should say is, I won't turn away from following Jesus. I will have faith. I mean, I'll have patience. I will endure the storm. I will walk through it. And I will have faith. And that is the word of exhortation that is being given to these who are facing such trouble and such hardship. In verses 11 and 12, we have another evil character that arises on the scene. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So not out of the sea, but out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. You have a political world-dominating leader in the beast out of the sea and in this um, beast out of the earth, you have the false prophet or the satanic spokesman. He is a religious guy, if you will. He's a, the, um, you know, the priest or whatever they will call him that's going out and calling people to follow. To follow. You know, Satan loves to uh, imitate and try to corrupt anything that is beautiful and pure. In verse 11, we, we have this beast coming out of the earth and 
And he spoke like the dragon, and he's coming to support the beast. You, you got three evil people, right? It's the unholy trinity of the last day's tribulation. You have Satan, you have the Antichrist, and you have this false prophet. And he is a false prophet. Let me give you a couple of other references. Revelation 16, 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's the beast out of the earth that we just read. Uh, Revelation 19, 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And Daniel alluded to that burning, didn't he? Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. So we know that what's going to eventually happen to them. But this character, the beast out of the earth, is the false prophet that's trying to lead the world and successfully leads the world into worship of him. So he's going to, you have this unholy trinity, this satanic trinity that's existing in the tribulation. In verses 13 and 14, we read of what he does. He says, He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And this is something that the two witnesses did, right? And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast, beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So we see that, again, this reference to resurrection. Again, anything that's beautiful and precious and is godly, Satan seeks to corrupt. So you, you know, the Father has you know, Jesus Christ. Satan has the Antichrist. The Holy Spirit comes along and um, empowered Jesus. And you have the false prophet that's coming along and is trying to deceive the world. So he's going to have power to perform deceiving signs. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 21, 24. And how there will be a great deception. He says at the end, he says, For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So those saints, that he, or the exhortation is, have faith and have patience. Those are the elect that Jesus is referring to, those tribulation saints, that it's, they're going to see all this stuff going on. They're going to see the world being swept up into it. And there's going to be a battle among those who have professed Christ to stand strong. You can also read in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, about this work of the Antichrist. But I'll just read to you one verse. Verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. So this is, there's going to be great deception. Those that actually follow Jesus in the great tribulation, are, although there's a great number that come, in relationship to the rest of the world, it's a small minority. And of those who come, intense persecution for them all. And unless you're one of the 144,000, it's open season on you. And all of the terrible things that are going to befall all people upon planet Earth, 
through the plagues and the judgments, but also the specific attacks of the Antichrist. He performs miracles. He calls fire from heaven. Um, Again, I I think Elijah is going to be one of the two witnesses. We know that he did this in his earthly ministry in the Old Testament. And if he is the one that comes back, and I think that that's a pretty clear one to me, as one of the two witnesses, we read in Revelation that he's going to be calling fire down from heaven. It's kind of like when Moses goes in and he um, puts his staff on the ground and it turns into uh, a serpent and the Janus and Jambres do the same thing. And they, 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 they a cheap imitation of the real. And eventually, of course, the staff of Moses, that serpent swallows up theirs. Um, and, and so God is going to prevail. But in the meantime, great deception. You know, some will say, well, you know, I know this is true. And when it all happens, I'm just going to take my chances. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get serious about the Lord then. And then I'll start following Jesus. Really? You're, you're going to start following Jesus when everything is against you. But right now you have family and you have friends and you have churches and you have, uh, even if you live here, a government that provides protection, but you don't want anything to do with Jesus. But when you get into the great tribulation, if, you, if that is the scenario that it comes to pass, you're going to stand up against the Antichrist and all the fury of the world? Really? You think highly of yourself, don't you? Nobody comes into the Lord unless he draws them. How do you know the Lord's going to draw you then? You don't know that. Now, if that's what you, if you roll the dice and that's what happens, I hope you do. I'm not rooting against you, but I would say more what the, I would say what the Lord has to say. Today is the day of salvation. You need to get right with the Lord now. You say, well, what if this stuff doesn't happen in my lifetime? You're going to die in your lifetime, and you're going to meet the Lord one way or the other. And none of us know when that's going to happen. Somebody once said, it's not always the sickest among us who go first. And the longer you live, the more you realize how true that statement is. So, my exhortation is get right with Jesus today. Um, In verses 12, this middle of verse 12 and the middle of verse 14, um, again, this reference to the resurrection. And so people debate, well, Does Satan have power over life? Can he create or can he recreate? Can he resurrect? Can he resuscitate and give life back? I thought only God can do that. Well, that's a a really good point. But just reading the text here, the world is going to think he had a resurrection. And so whether he really didn't or not, I don't know. But I can tell you that it's the same words that are used of Jesus' resurrection are used of his. So... The world is going to be deceived by this. Verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So the false prophet says we need to make an image. Again, where do you think that image is going to be set up? It's going to be set up in the temple. Just like in earlier days gone by in Israel's history, when um, Antiochus Epiphanes set up an image of Zeus and demanded that they would worship. Um, The Antichrist is going to do something like this as well, an image of himself, probably like what Nebuchadnezzar did. 
So bow down and worship me. But it's going to be set up at the temple. And his people, the false prophet's going to say, come and worship. And then something is going to take place in this image, this idol, this inanimate object, that life comes to it. Now, people say, well, this is no big deal. We know exactly how this happens. Um, you know, it's just going to be robotics. You know, do you really think that's going to lead somebody in our day and age to say, wow, I think I'm going to worship that? Nobody's going to, I mean, who's going to respond like that? That, that technology today, um, we're all familiar with it. That wouldn't impress. Something wicked and sinister and deceitful is going to take place that's going to cause the world to say, Life is in that image. So however that takes place, it's going to take place. Oh, people won't follow that. Hey, people worship a tortilla that looks like Mary. <laughs> I mean, if you, it's like you see a tortilla. Well, that looks like the, you know, the Virgin Mary. We're going to worship that. People will worship anything. The only one good thing for a tortilla, and that is to have a burrito, okay, or a taco. But people will worship these things. People will get, you know, swept away. Imagine, uh, image speaking, in some miraculous way that we really don't know, and I'm not going to even venture a guess, something happens that causes people to say, oh, I will worship that. I was unwilling before, but now, after seeing that, now I'm ready to worship. And, And his... Resurrection, okay. Oh, his killing of the, of the two witnesses? We'll worship this guy. We'll follow him. And the world, there'll be a revival of a dark religion that's going to take place. And those who don't will be killed. Second Thessalonians 2.4 says of him, He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's going to say, I am the one, worship me. He'll wrap this up in verses 16 through 18. Says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. So we'll quickly move through these. Um, Understand that verse 16, in verse 16, when somebody receives the mark of the beast, so something that's going to mark their body, that will show their worship to the Antichrist. I remember when you know, ATM cards were popular and people were afraid to use them because they thought it was the mark of the beast. It was a Visa card, that's all. It made life a little more convenient. That's all it was. And, and so understand this. It's like, well, I'm just afraid to, my bank is offering me this new thing, or Apple has this new thing, or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, Amazon wants to do, well, Amazon's want to do something that is a little freaky. I just don't know if you guys read about that. But, you know, but all of these things are nothing until it's associated, hear me, until it is associated with worship of the beast. You're not going to accidentally become a worshiper of the Antichrist, all right? 
as a follower of Jesus Christ because you happen to, you know, buy into a more convenient way to do your finances <laughs> does not all of a sudden mean that you missed it and you weren't discerning and now you are doomed. No, it's not going to work like that at all. It's going to be a conscious commitment to follow this man. Um, so there's going to be a mark. Um, and this mark um, is going to have a profound impact, impact upon the world because, verse 17, nobody's going to be able to do any kind of buying, selling, or trading without this mark. Although, you know, you can, we don't know what mark is. I mean, if you look up mark in the word mark, this mark of the beast, it doesn't say, you know, uh, you know a, a chip implanted in your skin. It doesn't say that. Could it be? Yeah, it could be. But it could be something else, too. Who knows what it ultimately will be? The, the text doesn't say it. And we make our guesses, but at the end of the day, let's realize all we're doing is guessing. Right? We, we don't know. You say, well, this is a great, I just know this is it. Listen, there's been plenty of people who have been convinced of it, and they're not right. So we don't know. Somehow there'll be a mark. Or people will take a mark on their uh, forehead on their right hand, and in doing this, it pledges allegiance and worship to the Antichrist. And if you don't take this, you'll be persecuted and or you will not be able to engage in any kind of commerce. It's going to be powerful control. Now, I'll give it. I mean, I think we can all look and see that it's pretty easy with technology today in the hands of one person and among nations that are just turning over control that he could control commerce in this way. And so verse 18, we read that his number is 666. So what does that mean? Are you going to have a 666 on their forehead or on their... No, I don't think that's what that means at all. Let me, there's not going to be a tattoo of 666. Um, no, it's just the number seven is the number of perfection. One less is not perfect and as he seeks to mimic and uh, uh, put forth another kind of trinity, you have the six, six, six. All of them are failures. None of them are perfect. That, that, that's my take. They all, they all come up short. They're not the real deal. It's, it's an antichrist. It's a deceiver. It's not the Father, nor is it the Son, nor is it the Holy Spirit. All three of those guys come up short. So this is what's going to happen. Now, I don't plan on being here to be able to see all the details unfold. But we have already been warned. We've already been told that false Christ would come. We see false Christ all around us. There's, a, there's deception all around us. So in one sense, um, all of us have to deal with a little Antichrist, little A, right? Antichrist, not the Antichrist, Revelation 13. But all of us have to be aware of the deception that's out there. That would seek to pull us away from following Jesus, standing in faith and having patience. Faith and patience. This is what the Lord wants us to have. And so whatever you, you may be going through in your life, whatever challenges that you're facing, that are pressing down, whatever disappointments you've gone through, the Lord would just say to you tonight, you still believe me, right? Trust me. You can trust me. And I'm for you. And nobody can be against you. 
You're like, yeah, but Lord, this and that. He says, yeah, you, you don't understand right now. You don't see the whole picture right now, but I'm for you. I'm not against you. Don't be against him. Have faith and have patience. Endure. So it didn't turn out the way you planned. Welcome to humanity. That's the way a lot of us feel. A lot of things happen in this life and they don't go the way we plan. But the Lord told us we would have tribulation in this life. He told us there would be suffering. He told us we would overcome. So I think if you look at what the Lord has promised, you can stand back and say, oh, he's been true to his word. He's been faithful. And he's going to see you through. Now, if you have drawn back, and like Jesus described, that if possible, even the elect would be deceived, maybe you're kind of, you're that one that's even right now, not in the tribulation, but in your tribulation, right now you're on that place of like, I don't know if I'm going to follow Jesus anymore. You're teetering. The exhortation is what? Faith and patience. Faith, believe in the Lord. Patience, endure. Endure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have told us of the things that are to come. And you haven't just told us about this guy in one place. You've told us about him in many places and the deception that he's going to bring. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters as well as for myself, Lord. No matter the tribulation, small t that we face, May we learn to stand fast. May we learn to just continue to have faith, to not waver, to not be thrown about, but just to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to continue to follow you. We ask, Lord, that you would do that work and that move in our heart.